Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. So in this interview, we'll look at TransferWise, which is a money transfer service that makes sending money overseas much more affordable. For the interview, I'm actually running a bit of an experiment myself. So I invited my friend Matt Lerner to help me co-interview Neilon Paris, who's the vice president of growth at TransferWise. So Matt and I, we just completed a workshop that uh, Matt helped me organize in London. and uh, But more importantly, Matt is the former marketing director at PayPal. So he's really a, the perfect partner for this interview. In the interview, Neilon explains to us his major challenge, which is that TransferWise solves a problem that very few uh, prospects realize that they have. So they don't realize that they're overpaying on international money transfers. And Neilon explains how he's really leveraged customer passion from their existing passionate customers to drive referral and really build a referral loop in the business that, that's been powerful for driving really the company from less than 50 employees when Neilon started to over 1,000 employees today. So let's get started. Okay, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, Neilon. Hi, great to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's this is going to be a really interesting experiment in the in the spirit of experimentation by having uh, Matt Lerner join us as well. So welcome as well, Matt. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be iterating fast on these things. <laughs> yeah, and um, as as with all things, if this turns into a disaster, I'm sorry that you were the guinea pig for a dual interview. It's it's all about learning from failure. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, before we jump into how you're growing TransferWise, it would be great if you could just give us a quick introduction to what TransferWise is all about. Yeah, sure. So uh, TransferWise is the leader, market leader in cross-border money movement. Uh, we're moving well over three billion pounds every month, and we were started to make uh, the problems of moving money disappear. So it's really expensive to move money internationally. It's pretty slow, and it's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And we're pretty confident we can make almost those problems almost completely disappear. Mm -hmm. So we reckon we can get the price down to pretty close to zero in the next few years. Wow. We've already got speed to instant, so yeah. one in five transfers like settle instantly right, uh, across wow. border. And I don't even do that in the United States. <laughs> exactly, dollars, <right> <laughs> and then uh, and convenience. We hope to get that to like a, a touch of a button. We're still a way off that one, but that's kind of how we think about the the problem we're solving and uh, our uh, our aspirations. Awesome. And then how um, you've been with the company pretty long now, right? Yeah, too long. Uh, so <laughs> I think about six, seven years, much like you. I kind of, <laughs> so I've been working with startups, I think for too long, for well over a decade. Yeah. And I, I'm sure like you guys, they kind of get introduced to, to founders. I remember getting introduced to these guys eight years ago. Was, these guys, they got a great product, but they have no customers. Right. And you're both thinking, yeah, well, we both had similar kind of yeah. <laughs> similar kind of intros. And I met them, and I honestly thought they're going nowhere because they just thought so much of the of the basics uh, just weren't there. Sure. And uh, I joined them part time, just really like hacking with them, uh, launching all the basics, launching the first AdWords yeah. ads for them, helping them start thinking about product in more of a growth growth centered way. Uh, and then after a couple of years of uh, part time helping out. 
they offered me a role full time. Okay. Yeah, and I joined. I've been here for six years since then. So, from wow. it was about forty odd people then, and we're about thousand seven hundred now. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I got to imagine that it's a completely different place compared to when you started then. Yeah, to some extent. But as you know, with these things, the important, important stuff still the same, I hope. Totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to retain the essence of what makes it fun as it gets bigger. But we, we can get into yeah. it. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that. all of that. So, I mean, one of the questions you talked about uh, that you're working to potentially get that cost of a transfer down to zero. Um, how do you guys make money then? Yeah, it's uh, a really <laughs> good question. On fees? So uh, when you look at the, there's about seven problems we kind of figured out that mm -hmm. you need to solve in order to achieve what we call our mission. So if you want to make the world's money move for almost nothing instantly, it's about seven problems you need to solve. Okay. So we need to be, we need to have a license in every country in the world. Okay. Right? Yeah. The pay-ins need to be pretty cheap and fast. The payouts need to be cheap and fast. The conversions need to happen pretty instantly. Um, the onboarding needs to be super slick. Right. Uh, and then also the other parts of the growth funnel, like the drivers of recommendation need to be understood and invested in, and the drivers of detraction. Um, so people tend to worry when they're transferring money. You need to really understand what would drive that. So what we do every quarter is we have I've simplified the, the org structure massively there. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine we have uh, teams uh, working on software that's trying to uh, move, solve all those problems. Right? Mm -hmm. And as they do that, they drive those costs down. And every quarter, those costs are down a little bit lower than they were before. Mm -hmm. And all we do is we add up our costs up on every single route. Mm -hmm. We add our margin. Uh, so we're pretty transparent. It's a 15% yeah. cash margin okay. on top. And we pass that back to our customers. And every quarter, as long as the costs keep going down, the price keeps going down. Uh -huh. Some quarters, the cost will go up because, I don't know, a bank would have put up his fees yeah. or something would have happened along the way. And unfortunately, we'll need to put the price up to cover it. Uh, but generally, that's the model. And we've cool. had this awesome so downward trend. So my math skills aren't great, but can you remind me, what is 15% of zero? Okay, I said, I said, I said, I said almost, no, 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 it's, it's a really good question. So I say almost zero. Yeah, uh, and that's only because... Um, we haven't figured out how to make the cost completely disappear. Right, right. All right, so there's, uh, unfortunately, there are still some costs associated with moving money right. that I can't see getting down to zero. Okay. Um, and obviously 15% of a very, like when it gets down to like a, a dollar, yeah. a transfer, and but you're doing so much volume, sure. it's, you, it should if still- you, If you essentially shift all of the world through you, why would they not? It should be a pretty valuable business. So Absolutely. it's kind of like the, the way, exactly as you said there, I do believe like whoever builds this platform uh, that uh, gets the lowest marginal cost as quickly as possible yeah. will get to massive, massive scale. Yeah. I love it, Nilan. I worked in payments for 10 years yeah. and it's devilishly complex. And you explain it so simply that a third grader could understand it. Uh, you have a gift for that, and I really like that. This is Matt the office. Matt with his compliments. So a five year old <laughs> could understand yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, who's your typical target customer profile? It's a good question. So, from uh, breaking down our, uh, our volume into segments, broadly, we have. Um, 80% B2C and 20% B2B. I'll unpack B2B in a second because that's mm -hmm. quite complex. Inside B2C, it is everyone moving money internationally. There isn't one specific target group that sticks out. 
So remittances, people sending money home uh, to a family is like less than 20%. Okay. But I can tell you like over 100 people bought a house last oh, that cost like uh, north close to a million yeah. <laughs> abroad on TransferWise last month, which yeah. is pretty, pretty astonishing. Um, we have a lot of students using our platform. We have a load of people. Uh, uh, like freelancers receiving money from overseas. Um, we have people paying for their second home mortgages. Uh, just any kind of use case, people buying stuff from Especially overseas. When you're, when you're talking fees, I, I had a, uh, I bought a house in Budapest once oh, when wow. I was living there. And um, it's just massive fees when you're moving. Yeah. You know, you take a percentage of, I mean, it was, it was you know, yeah. Yeah, so banks. Well into the 500, that $600,000 and taking a cut of that is yeah, sad. You've got it. Uh, the, <laughs> the, I mean, like in Europe, uh, banks charge between 4 and 7%, right? Yeah. So you're sending 1000 bucks. It's about $50. Let's, let's make that a million bucks, right? Right, right. <laughs> and let's make that, uh, that's $50,000, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's like your, your entire realtor fee just in a money transfer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the value add. Those are the segments that switch to us. They switch based on the amount of value they get, which is really the amount of savings that we're giving to them. Yeah. That will get them over the inertia of uh, switching away from their bank. But if someone's going to trust you to, if someone's going to let you send that much money, there has to be a high degree of trust. That's not an impulse buy decision. It's a really good question. So, um, so I didn't get into the, the B2B segment. We can come back to that. Let's go into the consumer segment then. And so we, we have all these use cases, like how do we acquire them? Why do they trust us? Right. Um, in the early days, like um, I think my startup before this one grew really big off the back of Google spend. Yeah. And you get very good at uh, spending money with Google. And so obviously, once you become a, a marketing dude or a growth dude and uh, you get like once you've got this hammer that's called Google <laughs> yeah. in your toolbox, the first thing you go for is the hammer and you try to think, uh, in there for sure. yeah, 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 we're going to take out the Google hammer and we're going to get really good at uh, scalably writing a bunch of ads algorithmically, figuring out the right bids, yeah. sporting out hundreds of landing pages, doing all of that. And that kind of works. Uh, the reason Google didn't work is people don't know they're being ripped off. Mm. So uh, I know this stat now, it's 70% of people in Europe, when they go to their bank and they see the exchange rate, they think that is the rate on Reuters and Google. Mm. They don't know that rate has been marked up by 5%. Right, right. I'm always laughing when it says no commission yeah. and then you see the spread. No, so the thing is like you, like when it's like, uh, I think I can say names like Western Union, MoneyGram yeah. and you and the buy and sell rates, you kind of don't trust them. Yeah. But when you go to, I think I'll say the names, when you go to HSBC or you go to Citibank and you reputable companies, you log onto the website and they say that's the rate and they say the fee is $2, you think the fee is $2. Yeah. You don't know there's another $50 hidden in the exchange rate fee. Yeah, yeah. So the search demand for our product's pretty low because people, mm -hmm. people don't think I'm paying $50. They don't realize this. the problem they have. Yeah. So uh, problem number one with uh, like uh, strong intent channels uh, mm -hmm. is that there isn't a strong intent for the product because yeah. people aren't aware of it. So then you're into the, the mass broadcasting, trying to make people aware via marketing. You guys are all nodding. It's that's super expensive. That's very expensive. <laughs> and to get over the trust problem with that. So just think about it. Like, uh, I'm going to run an ad. I'm going to put it on TV. I'm going to put it on the side of a bus. I'm going to put it on Facebook. After seeing that ad, you're going to trust this company you have never heard of enough to transfer your life savings through yeah. to buy a house, right? Compared to your bank. 
You can walk into your bank. You can touch your bank. You can shake your bank by the hand. You bank there. Your dad bank there. You need to spend so much money to get to an equivalent place of trust. Yeah, but even to to tell you the truth, man, I talked about that that transfer to Hungary to buy a house yeah. in Hungary. I was terrified. The the bank that seemed trustworthy <laughs> had a much worse rate than this sort of bank that it was like I got to get my money out of there fast once yeah. it gets in. It was yeah. just like don't don't hit in a window where they and, end up going and I out wouldn't of business. And, and we definitely did. Um, so you can imagine we got a load of good advice saying you need to invest in brand to build yeah. trust, and we did all of that. Right. But it doesn't take long to figure out. I mean, I've I've run TV campaigns in Australia, in the US, in Europe. Every time you run it, you're like. The economic, economics are going to be different this time. It's right. going to work. And it never, it's never worked, right? So uh, we've, um, we tried to get marketing to work to build trust. We couldn't. And the thing we fell back on pretty early, so this was after about a year of me being here, was um, getting our customers to trust us was hard. Mm-hmm. Getting our customers to trust their friends was easier. Much easier, yeah, that makes sense. So if we just double down the effort on uh, just giving a a great experience uh, to our existing customers mm-hmm. and understand the drivers of recommendation, yeah. then uh, the tr- we just saw that when you ask people, why do you use Transfoys? How do you feel comfortable using it? This person told me. Right. And they told me it was safe. And, and we just started <laughs> realizing that's the, that's the bit we needed to amp up way yeah. faster. And it's not even just like natural word of mouth. There is a network effect there. I know when I've heard of TransferWise in the past, it's, someone is struggling sending me money and they're, you know, especially like some government regulations on the business to business side of how do I send it out of the country? Hey, are you okay if we use TransferWise? The person on the other end said to me and I'm like, sure. So um, I, I do feel like that there's some yeah. kind of network effect. Well, let's there. jump into that. So um, it's a really hard network effect. Okay. So I, uh, 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 Tarbert here uh, used to work at Skype, and I, I met the, some of the founders of Skype. And Skype had uh, like really strong viral coefficients. Yeah. But you work through the. Uh, you're probably going to say the right words for this, but the uh, the viral funnel. Yeah. What do you call it? Viral funnel. Loop. Viral loop. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because I need to call you. You need to download Skype in order yeah, to yeah, get exactly. it. And like, and then you work through like, what is the likelihood you need to call somebody else in the next how long? Right, and the right. things that drive this rate of growth, right? Sure. When you work through those drivers for Skype, it makes sense. For us, um, there are lots of one-way money transfers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right? And the recipient might not necessarily have a need to do a money transfer. Mm-hmm. The second point is... Uh, uh, there are some segments that are high frequency, yeah. but most are pretty low frequency right, use right. case, right? Okay. So the vir- viral loops there, it's a slow, slow loop, and you kind of find you get this penetration in the segments that have uh, high frequency l- use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, the other bit you find is, so like students who use TransferWise, no students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so they all tell uh, they're all connected with each other yeah and then people who buy houses in Spain from the UK know other people who've got houses right, in Spain right. uh, what's it this is great on one side and the other side is they don't recommend outside the use case yeah, so yeah. you find people use it for certain use cases and recommend on that and uh, which is cool so then a growth driver is figuring out how to get them to use us for more yeah but that, that was kind of the same thing we saw at Dropbox as well yeah. like if you if it's primarily a file sharing tool 
and you're kind of thinking of it that way, that's what it is for people. And another group of people are like, what are you talking about? It's all about keeping my data in sync between my devices. And But if you can get people to understand it on the 360 degree level, then, then yeah, you're yeah, much yeah. more likely to uh, really value it. Absolutely. Cool. So um, what do you, what do you think has been the key to, to the success? What, what, good, what, good where, where is that growth really coming from? So I think uh, we kind of half covered it already, but yeah. I'll, I'll step through it in a, a little bit more detail. It's like if you could kind of narrow it down to like yeah. one. So, so the overall one thing I'd say is the, uh, it's the unerring focus on, on the customer and making sure we're driving a lot of value back to them. But I, I think it's to make it a bit more tangible rather than that kind of wishy-washy line that you yeah. could read in the Harvard Business Review and it sure. kind of doesn't mean anything. So what I learned, when we enter a market, and if we're not at least 10x better than the alternative, on price mainly, okay. no one notices. Right, okay. So we've launched uh, many times with a with a... Generally, when we take someone else's product and rebadge it for at yeah. the beginning, just to get in the market fast, uh, we you kind of see it like it was quick to launch, and then the growth rate's really slow. Mm-hmm. When we figure out how to move money, so Brazil is a really good example. Brazil, our viral coefficient uh, is pretty near one. Right, mm-hmm. it's the only market where we've got that. Right, where yeah. uh, and cost- that was the market, by the way, where somebody had said, "Let's use TransferWise." Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Makes sense. And the reason why is it costs 10% to move money out of Brazil, Yeah, which is insane. And and I think it's also, there's a lot of bureaucratic crap you need to go through. Absolutely. And the taxes are pretty nuts as well. Uh, And so the product there had to, (laughs) we had to solve the tax problem. We had to solve how to explain the tax problem clearly. And we had to figure out how to move money out of Brazil for 1%, Yeah, which is where we launched that. And that was uh, dramatic, the difference we made to Brazilian lives and hence to our growth. Mm-hmm. So that's the, a really big economy that a lot of people forget about. Yes, yeah, huge. And you can, yeah, and uh, it's been one of our fastest growing markets. But just to go a, a little bit deeper, like money transfer has been going on since cross-border, since the Medici's, right? Yeah. <laughs> since like uh, medieval uh, Florence. Um, how can like a couple of guys in Europe go, you know what? <laughs> like, you can do this much, much cheaper. Right, like, right. where, right? How, so, like, how does this, how does, yeah, how, how does this opportunity like exist in plain sight? Well, that everyone has a thousand years figured this out. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I try and share a little around uh, how and why. So, I think a lot of it is, as you know, uh, hustle, (laughs) drive, unerring focus on on the customer. And um, I just give two stories that kind of bring it to life. Um, So uh, I share these stories because this kind of brings to life, what is it we invest in? What is it we do that drives the cost down, uh, that then gets, uh, that creates value for customers, that then gets them to recommend, that then creates shareholder value, growth. Yeah, exactly. So what is the thing we actually do? Uh, So I talk through what happened in Singapore for us and what happens in the UK, what happened in the UK. So we went to MAS, the regulator in Singapore, four years ago, and we said, hey, we'd love a license because uh, we have 2,000 people in Singapore who said, can you launch TransferWise in Singapore? And they said, sure thing, here's a license, but you need to physically meet face-to-face every single one of these people before, you allow, before you're allowed to send their money out of Singapore. Wow. And we're like, 
guys, we're familiar with FATF, like global anti-money laundering regulations and how that's enacted into law in the US, in Australia, in the UK, and you don't need to do that there. And they said, that's true, but in, in Singapore, you're going to do that if you want a license. So we, we took the license. We sent a team out to Singapore in a WeWork office, and they started uh, verifying these customers. And uh, customers came in, but customers absolutely hated it. But the muscle we built uh, was we got those customers to complain, not to us, but to the regulator. Mm. And it took a year of lobbying and a year of doing something that fundamentally didn't scale. Yeah. Right? Uh, and all kinds of hustle and soft power lobbying, like yeah. uh, uh, with the Singaporean government, before we got the world's first license to do take a selfie, take a picture of ID, and then we can send your money out of Singapore. Wow. And today now you just log on to the government portal, authenticate your ID that way, and then we send the money out. Yeah, but that sounds very like Uber-esque in, in some of the challenges that, that it's, Uber had. It's and, heavily regulatory, but unlike yeah. Uber, we... we we always comply with the law. Yeah, yeah. You were, I, meaning you. Will... I, I mean more the fact that when governments block Uber from a market, and especially if they've been there already, and there's just an uproar from the local population, it's a, a really that helps to totally change policy. And we definitely got that muscle, but um, because uh, I guess uh, rides and taxis are as regulated now, but money transfer is incredibly tightly regulated right, now, right. as you can imagine, and it's super. Uh, and regulators are risk averse, and we we need to work through them um, through doing that. Yeah. Well, that's a really good example of ten um, x better products. So when you're, mm. what I'm fond of telling the team is, if you're building a ten x better product, you're building something that doesn't exist. You're not even sure if it's ever going to exist. Right. And if you're not in that spe space of existential crisis, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. So like to really like move the top line materially you've got to be doing the singapore type stuff right right one more quick story i'll cover is uh, what happened in the uk so after operating for about two three years we understood we looked at our costs of uh, sending money into and out of the uk mm -hmm. and we realized uh, a bunch of it was going in fees to our bank and rather than find a cheaper bank we thought what is the lowest marginal cost of doing a pay-in or payout of the uk and that's, you get that if you have a bank account at the Bank of England. Okay. So we were tiny, we were 100 people, and we started <laughs> trying to figure out how to hustle to get a bank account at the Bank of England. Uh -huh. And that took five years, and we had to literally change the law, create a new regulatory framework for it. Wow. But we were the first non-clearing bank to get a bank account at the Bank of England. And now we have uh, literally the world's best-in-class payment rails for payments into and out of the UK. Yeah. And you can imagine our product teams are doing that all over the world in, sure. in other markets today as well. So you know what my big takeaway is from those two stories is that the amount of grit and hustle that's required there, you got to really believe in the mission. You got to you got to have people who are just it's it's not about that instant gratification. It's just like we're going to figure out how to do this. You totally got it. That's like, and that's more or less my role. So I, you guys, uh, both founders, and you kind of have been there, so you kind of know. At the beginning, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear, but you have, uh, you have fuck, at the beginning, you have fuck all, right? You have yeah. nothing and you just have a vision and you have to persuade people that mm -hmm. we're going to go, we're going to go there. We're going to get there. And uh, they need some people join for the mission. They kind of right. see that. 
Then after a while, you've built a product. You just, mm-hmm. They can see the product and they kind of see where it's going. And some people join for the product. After a while, you get the numbers and they can, some people join for the numbers. And then so after a while, you kind of get an awesome team. And then some people join because they want to join that team to try to help to, uh, to achieve that. Right. And, and the success. The success. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And, as, and you guys know, I'm sure you guys have all have worked that at different stages sure. all the way down. The interesting bit for me is like the starting point is the team needs to believe that we're going there. Yeah. If they believe, if they don't think we're going to build a platform that's going to move all the world's money yeah. and they just think we're going to make it slightly better, they build something slightly better. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the hacks I try to do internally is try to think through how to raise all of their collective ambitions all the way up there. Right. How do I take the one story out of Singapore and make sure everyone here knows that yeah, yeah, to yeah. know that people out there have made that kind of shit happen. So it like inspires them to look for those areas of yeah. what, what do we need to unlock next to really move yeah. forward on the mission. Yeah, 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 yeah. So do you, do you actually have a metric that helps you know kind of beyond the individual stories and the overall mission but something that says man we have we've made so much progress we're we've done this much yeah, now yeah. versus this much a year ago yeah it's not not star kpi yeah i'll talk okay. you through our, our not star and how it's so it's fun question how it's evolved over time sure. yeah so obviously like every early stage startup the north star was first new users Right. And actually new user acceleration. So monthly new users. So we have very low churn Mm -hmm. and they kind of uh, stay on board uh, with pretty steady active rates. But every every month we'd look to grow the number of new users joining that for a long time. That's what what I drove. After a while, uh, it became sustainable new users, (laughs) as you can imagine. New user that (laughs) pays back. Yeah, 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 pays back for itself within 12 months. You start to define all these things. We've been profitable for three years so that that you can understand how you work through that. Then we launched business uh, and we really started investing in business three years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's, and obviously like, uh, Business, business volume is very different than yeah, the consumer volume, volume. Yeah. and I was also keen not to try to say this is strategically important and like mm-hmm. arbitrarily prioritize so we moved to cross border volume okay as our north star kpi and yep. we'll probably run with that uh, now um, so it's pretty easy uh, to rationalize it back to the mission mm-hmm. uh, how many people's uh, how much volume uh, has gone through transwise how much savings because that falls straight off the back of volume yep. have it contributed back to our customers mm-hmm. whether consumers or businesses what's the next biggest volume opportunity we have mm-hmm. cool thing this is incredibly aligned with obviously our shareholders and our valuation Absolutely. when yeah, you work yeah. that backwards through yeah. and as long as those cost economics and margin economics I talked through at the beginning hold yeah. through you end up with uh, building an incredibly valuable business as well absolutely and I think the challenge and you just connected it there is that a lot of times because CEOs are constantly being asked about revenue and profitability that they that they want to talk to the team in those terms but when you can talk about volume of transfers and something that's that's kind of a little more connected with the mission it's so much it, it feeds that passion that you've been been uh, referring to that's so important to driving things forward. so let's riff off that a little bit uh, yeah. because I'm, I'm really curious on your both your perspectives on that the how like people in our role handle the revenue conversation with the board mm-hmm. or with the CEO, mm-hmm. I think is critical Absolutely. to the success of a company. Absolutely. And there's uh, two places I've seen that happen, right? Um, one is around how you set targets and manage expectations. Yeah. We talk about that a bit. Yeah. And two is around whether revenue is an output or an outcome, which is kind right. of what you were touching exactly. on there. Yeah. yeah. 
let's do the target one first because that's uh, the more interesting one. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to generalize terribly yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, we don't need specific <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. But uh, like boards at the end of the day, it's like fear at points in time yeah. or greed. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And at the end of the day, they just want you to give them confidence that it's going to get really fucking big. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and they're going to get payback. Yeah. On their on their investment, and then the question is like how you how you fill that gap. Yeah. So obviously the idea is they want a number. Yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna hit that number, and you're gonna build a team, and you know like you're gonna fire people if they don't hit that number, and people are gonna be accountable and feel it for hitting that number. But the reality that we know is that number is a guess. Absolutely. <laughs> in a high growth startup, and it's a guess on two dimensions. It's dependent on shipping stuff. Yeah. As we know, shipping stuff, right, has yeah. a high degree of variability. If you want to, like, build an organization that ships on time, you're, like, you're doing it wrong, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, that's not kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about fast, learn, build, iterate cycles. Right. The second part is estimating the impact of something, mm-hmm. again, is a problem that is not worth spending too much time on. Yeah. You just want to know. You don't know until you do it. Yeah, and you also want to just want to know is like, is it potentially going to be massive or is it not worth doing at all? Right. And that's kind of like, right, the most yeah. estimation anyone should do on, on anything here, which means you need to be able to manage that conversation back. So the way I've done it and, and we've managed to do it here is to talk through a momentum view of mm-hmm. we exactly. built up these cohorts of customers. This is how they're behaving. Mm-hmm. This is what the momentum's looking like. Yep, we're investing in all these cool things. Exactly, yeah. uh, none of that's banked, yeah, right? Exactly. So we can put speculative numbers now, Comments. but no, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our cash flow is not dependent on like that thing. You know, we're not, the business isn't going to go bust if the if the if the bet doesn't pay off, right? right Just right. A, a bit of prudence around that. And that's how we've uh, how we managed it today. But managing that conversation assertively has been key. I mean, hard, love yeah. to hear your perspectives on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just exactly as you said. I know Matt's itching to ask a question <laughs> here, but let me let me just give you my thought real quick here. That um, I yeah, I I really break it down to this is what we know, and here's our process for innovating. You don't get acceleration off of what you know. You get acceleration off of learning new stuff and adding new additional drivers. Smart of way of putting it. And so here's here's our list of bets on the unknown. Here's our confidence against those bets. We're gonna need to get this much out of the unknown on top of the known to hit that number. And we're being very aggressive, but here's here's our process there. And that, I, I think to me being, just saying, yeah, we'll find a way to do it isn't enough. Yeah. And, but, but also saying, you know, like saying it's a complete guess or, it's completely known is, is not true either. There are trend lines that are going to give you some level of predictability yeah. and everything above those trend lines is going to come off of new stuff you learn. Yeah. And the cool thing about these trend lines, as we know, is they taper off after time. Exactly. <laughs> Especially like a contributing channel, yeah. you're going to get decay. And yeah. so it's not yeah. just yeah. about building on top of those trend lines, but it's about replacing the ones that are decaying. And that's that can also be challenging. But what I really like about what you touched on earlier is that when you're focused on feeding referral and using the base to grow, yep. that's something that actually is fairly sustainable over time. And so so that, that was one of my big learnings when I came off of Log Me In, yeah. where we were very dependent on a Google ad spend. That's great, but when you get big, you have to figure out how to continue to drive so much more out of that channel to maintain growth rates. It's not just driving the same, but you have to keep figuring out ways to get more out of that. And so when you have external dependencies, 
you almost always flatten out. Yeah. But Dropbox, I joined six months later, and it was all about, gosh, if we can have this growth be driven from our base so that the bigger we get, the more powerful our marketing engine becomes, that's something you can sustainably grow over time. And I think that's a lot of what the team was focused on. The first fastest uh, SaaS business to a billion dollar valuation or a billion dollar in revenue, I think that's, that's the reason is because it was you could have lines that went up and to the right a lot longer when it's being driven off of a machine that's self-feeding. So Matt, you had nice a uh, thought or a question there. Yeah, I mean, I guess as an investor, I always chuckle because I see startups that are much earlier stage than you and they have one year, two year, three year revenue forecasts, one year marketing plans. And I'm like, how on earth do you know this stuff? This is unbelievable. And it's, it's good that you've managed a relationship with the board in such a way that you can go in and be transparent about the knowns and the unknowns. But I think you've earned that through a track record of actually, you know, over delivering and to some extent, um, I guess it's dangerous being too specific on this stuff. Yeah. But um, as you all know, we've definitely been through the periods of nine months being flat or near yeah. to flat, and then like the questions and the challenges will inevitably come on doing stuff that you know won't make a difference. And it's also yeah. how you manage those conversations yeah. that are that are as important. So that that credibility doesn't come uh, comes with like off the back of a bunch of wounds as well. Right, and that's, and that's, the, that's the challenge is that, that boards do tend to get manic. In some senses, the more successful you are, the more that they start saying, okay, are we ready for the next level team? And I think that's one of the things that's impressive about how long you've stayed here is that a lot of times they get they get greedy to the point where they feel like now we can afford the really good person. And then afterwards they realize that maybe maybe we made a mistake there and that um and that's a really good one uh, yeah. so i should we talk about that for a little Please, yeah, so i it. mean i have no good answer on that um i've definitely worked with founders and boards who are like um the phrase i have here is like i hope i've never been guilty of this myself maybe i have been it's like um, you know this guy uh george He's the guy that will get us from zero to a million AdWords spend. Yeah, yeah. But we need to hire somebody else to go from a million to this. Or they'll talk yeah, about yeah. it in the in the language of brand, or there'll be some yeah, other way, or yeah, someone yeah. who can build an organ engineering org of of um, three hundred to six hundred. And uh, so the reality is, some of that's true. I think so. You yes. do find. Uh, Scaling, so like, I mean, uh, all my time now is dealt, uh, dealing with scaling challenges, which yeah. is past the business not growing fast enough to keep up with the scale, right? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. All, all that kind of like uh, good problems to have kind of yeah. kind of category, and some of that is uh, is leadership, right? Where just like um, person running a thirty person organization wakes up one day and is running a three hundred person organization, you know, and then yeah. uh, they're like poor thing, completely struggling, and you need to figure a way to support them and sure. get through that. So there's definitely a, a need for uh, uh, finding leaders that can help build and scale the organization at points in time. Absolutely. Uh, whether that's a marketing organization, a growth engineering org. I guess the, I'm just curious how you, how you guys think about when is it dangerous to do that, and how do you how do you know when you're when you're when you should be um, helping your team? So the way we talk about it is like you need to you need to find a new boss to help you. Right. right. So, uh, so part of <laughs> part of what I realized for myself was that I I was able to navigate all the way up to IPO filings in growth and marketing leadership roles, but I didn't like it in the later days. What I realized is that I actually liked the earlier days. I think I was uniquely really talented in the early days, 
later on, there were other people who could potentially be as good as me. And so I, it was more about me saying, get in, take it to a certain level. And it's, it's not an ego thing. It's just, I'm going to, I'm going to focus where I can create the most value and, and kind of build a portfolio across companies. I think um, if you're really passionate about the mission of the business, then I think you can evolve and you want to continue to stay a part of that mission of the business. But I, um, I, I think it's really, it's up to the individual and how, how you manage it. Well, I actually had a really inter interesting interview with, with Alex from Resi right before this. And one of the things that I was really excited about what she talked about, because it, it's, it's the way that I would want to do things is that they are basically, they essentially have kind of the, the known and the unknown, like we were talking about she manages the unknown. She's, she's the trailblazers of developing new markets and validating new features and products in those new markets. And once they're validated, they get plugged into the group that systematizes and manages the known. So it's more the operators keep, keep taking on these new known things. And she's got this team who would normally have to become the operators and, and have to play that balance between push the envelope and manage the envelope and they've, they've really broken it into manage the envelope and, and then this kind of trailblazing entrepreneurial team is the one that's always pushing the envelope. And I, I, that was the first time I'd, re I'd, I'd seen people doing that with channels, but they're literally doing it with new product offerings that round out to have a broader and better product. So I thought that was really cool. A really smart model. Yeah. I wanted to, because I think we're starting to get into leadership here and that's, Great, because I think a lot of marketers struggle with the day-to-day, -day, you know, how do I do better marketing? But most people, as the organization grows, the problem becomes how do I get the company to do better and better customer acquisition? And so you've grown from running AdWords with these guys to running what now all of product and marketing and probably a huge team. So I'm curious how you spend your time day-to-day. -day. What, what are the tiny number of things that you don't delegate? And you've talked about raising the collective level of ambition, and scaling challenges like what is the place where you uniquely can add value i think you've got them already uh so i um get asked a lot where i spend my time right. and i've learned not to duck the question and to answer it straight <laughs> uh, internally at the beach yeah so there's uh otherwise that's what happens so there's three uh three things i spend my time on one is uh supporting my leads and growing their org Two is managing my boss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and three is picking up whatever's on fire. Yep. Yeah. And uh, at any point in time, like, well, the split is completely varies. Sure. On the org side, um, um, so I think the other two are quite self-explanatory. I'll cover the org one a little bit because uh, I, I have a, a mental model on this. I'm curious how you guys think about it as well. So uh, we're doubling every nine months, uh, more or less. And there have been periods in time we've doubled in three, right? right? You guys have been there. Now, if you double the number of customers in, say, three months, you need to double the number of customer support agents. Yep. <laughs> you need to double the operations team because inevitably there's some manual stuff that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. Hell, you need to now double the number of recruiters to recruit them. And uh, you know what? You can't grow the team at that rate. Now, remember... The growth rate is not under my control. Sure. The growth rate are customers out there it's recommending a it. Doing a lot of good things. Yeah. Well. So our NPS was like 86%, right? right? It's like sky high. So you've got recommendations just going out there happening. Yeah. And then you just got this work generator to keep up with it. Yeah. 
and you just can't keep up, right? So mm-hmm. like you can't keep doubling when the customer support team gets to 600 people, yeah. you're not going to find another 600 people, right? So these lines start deviating the the rate at which you should be hiring mm-hmm. and the rate at which you are hiring. And as the lines deviate and the area between the, the lines gets wider, I say that the probability of fucking up kind of grows so high till the point at which you screw up. Mm-hmm. And these screw ups, they're not like major, they're minor. So like yeah. the queue length in customer support starts getting longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the verification time takes a bit longer. Yeah. The customer, you see CSAT starting to drop and then NPS drops and recommendation rate drops. Exactly. And I'm happy, right? Because honestly, the team are dead, yeah, yeah. right? They're literally just burning out because they're turning up to work, clear everything, come back the next day. There's more to do. There's even more than what they cleared right, the day right. before, right? So it's just not sustainable, if that makes sense, right? Um, so you end up with this, like, the underlying growth rate. So then it kind of drops down, the, the, the growth slows down to the point at which the organization can sustain it. Yeah. And then they, the recommendation takes off and it keeps... It gets everything yeah, back yeah, in order yeah, yeah, and yeah, you, got, again, you got yeah. it, right? And so uh, it got me to this massive realization, which is why I'm so heavy on the people side, that the, uh, the underlying growth rate is constrained by the rate at which you can hire and inspire people mm-hmm. to work on this thing and figure out how hard to push on it, right? Yeah. That, it's really what... Packard's Law? Have you heard that? No, no, you go for it. So, yeah, from Hewlett Packard. I think yeah. it's called Packard's Law, but that's that's it, it's actually a, a law that, that he says that your, your rate of growth is constrained by how quickly you can hire quality people. Yeah, that's exactly. And then the second one I figured out is you just can't add like 100 engineers in a year unless you've hired 30 experienced tech leads that have worked on the code base for three years previously. So really your rate's constrained by the rate of leaders that you've got in the team and the rate at which you're developing them and hiring them in as well. Um, And so when I look across the org, you can kind of see these teams that are growing at the rate they need to and the ones, some are actually shrinking, right? So you have these ones that go into death spirals, kind of like where... Uh, they're not growing to keep up with demand, the workload's mm-hmm. getting too much, the leaders burn out, and then the team starts shrinking. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the customer experience really, and th- those kind of issues are the ones that really hurt. And figuring out how you mm-hmm. kind of systemically cover that uh, is more or less where I spent my time operationally right. in a But I think, it's, a scaling I think it stuff. happens, I think you, you're talking about two places where you start to see the pain. Mm. One is that slow erosion of the customer experience mm hurts your NPS, as you said, yeah. and that's the fuel of growth that you've talked about. Yeah. But the other side is people start to be bummed out who work here. People yeah. start to see that and they lose some of that pride. And so as that pride and motivation goes away, morale goes down, commitment to mission starts to drop. We're, we're just talking about this. It's not really, you know, and then, and then kind of, that's where I think the death spiral comes in and what part of why growth should be somewhat moderated, but you can't, you can't moderate powerful word of mouth referral growth. And so for, for what it's worth, part of, part of the way that I'm identifying companies that I want to talk to is by the rate of growth of the team. And so sometimes companies way over hire, but I think you can have hype driven companies that are, especially private companies, that you actually don't know if they're growing or not, if it's just all hype. But when you see a team that's doubling or tripling every year, there's probably something that's happening there because just as you said, you've got to keep adding additional people on the team to support that growth. And every time that you aggressively add people, the chances that those people are less committed to the mission are less understand the machine, all of those things kind of fall apart. And, and if growth starts to crash, then 
then that's that's when uh, things get ugly and and the trust with the board and the rest of it. So that that's where I think some of that communication with the board comes in is being able to have the more everyone understands what the true engine of growth in the business is, the more everyone can work together to make sure that you don't screw it up. And so that's before you run any experiments to try to improve it. You better at least understand it, and then and then you figure out where it's sub-optimized, and you try to figure out ways to actually add even more you know, improvement to those areas. Cool, yeah, very smart. So I think that's kind of, kind of some come, some of my key takeaways. We're coming up here toward toward the end, where we, obviously we could, <laughs> especially with three of us, we could we could probably go on for for hours. But I want to be respectful of your time. But I think. Um, it's uh, it's it's amazing. If you think about the challenges that you have today with the size of the team and the challenges you had in the beginning, as you said, of just how, how do I get those first paying customers? How do I get that initial traction? How do I build any kind of momentum in this business? It's such a different role, but it's um, at the same time, it's the same mission. And it's uh, if you can kind of keep keep reminding yourself of the mission and stay enthusiastic, then uh, then that's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, one way I define my role, you kind of cover this uh, already. As uh, so, you kind of covered like a, you always think I thought through the same things as you. Should I? Am I an early stage guy? Yeah, yeah. Is there a point at which there's someone better? And I mean, honestly, I, I always look uh, for someone better uh, right. uh, just because the job's way too big. Right? Yeah, yeah. I need to, need to be getting rid of bits of it. Uh, so if you know anyone, anyone listening in is interested in like taking half of what I'm doing away, <laughs> hit me up. I'm I'm dead interested. Uh, but the biggest reason I'm still here is just to make because I think we have this like tiny chance of like actually achieving this mission yeah. so if you can make the world's money move for almost nothing that'd be pretty cool yeah and uh i'm not convinced it would happen without me here yeah <laughs> so that's which is slightly big-headed but people in, uh, internally but tell I, me the I same thing it. yeah so i um, and definitely not if we're public so i think i need to hang around to make sure we manage the transition to being public sure. and don't get lost in that on that journey uh and still managed to figure out how to take a uh, public markets with us on that journey yeah uh but that's kind of how i think about my role and how i'm here one story i'll share which kind of really brought it home to me so i obviously i'm sure like you guys do i do exits with everyone that leaves from my team because they're always 100 times more honest when than when they're in the company sure, yeah and I, I lost a dude, he's probably listening to this, uh, he was our security product manager, pretty smart dude, and he went to Facebook uh, to run security for Messenger. It's a pretty awesome role. And I listened to him and he talked through the role and I said, uh, you know what, like, working for security for Messenger and securing all the world's messages and like billions and billions of messages and making people feel comfortable that their, their messages are, are safe is pretty awesome and then but here i believe we're going to be moving almost all the world's money and you're going to be securing all the world's money mm-hmm. and that's no one's done that before so that's yeah. really awesome and he's like that's the thing that uh facebook is big and transfers could theoretically be big and in that sentence i realized what my job was <laughs> right <laughs> to bridge that gap right so when you talked yeah. about being that figuring out how to inspire it's like him believing that we right, are going right. to be there it's not just and, having a meaningful mission but yeah. actually having some belief I actually boiled it down to these three things one is the team need to believe the mission is worth doing yeah. they need to believe it's possible and they need to believe that we're actually making progress so we actually, actually um, work with a team to how do you build that as a product <laughs> internally 
And how do you know if that's working or not? Yeah. So that's one of the one of the fun things I spend my time on trying to. And your your signals are the people leaving to go work for Facebook, or people yeah. not going to work for Facebook, or people joining from Facebook, which yeah. which happens as well. Kind of tells you whether you're actually. I think in all of there. those cases, it's someone who who is no longer inspired by the mission, or doesn't feel like it's on track, or yeah. whatever yeah. it is. That if you're really inspired by the mission, you stay. But just yeah, and understanding where you're failing at that just. And getting good data on that just yeah. helps you understand where you need to. Yeah, I mean, if I if I fault myself on anything as a CEO, it's like God. I wish I spent more time talking about mission and just just reminding everyone of what the heck are we doing here and why are we doing it and getting that lock in. So I do want to. I have one more question yeah. for you, but uh, I wanted to but real quick before I jump into that question, Matt. Any key takeaway that I didn't cover that that's jumping out at you? Um, I mean. Uh, I think overall, Nilan's perspective on leadership is great and that he sees all the leverage through his team yeah. at this point. I think you have to at this size, right? Yeah. So yeah, the last question, what do you feel like you understand about growth today that you may not have understood a couple of years ago? So this is something we didn't spend time on, but uh, it's definitely true, which is, uh, again, curious what you guys think on this. Um, execution is all that matters. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, fun thing to do. Like, you guys probably had Slack at Growth Hackers. Yeah. Yep. And like, sometimes I scroll all the way back through Slack in the team channel through to the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. And you look and see what people are talking about, and you're talking some completely random shit about stuff that just doesn't matter. Right. 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 <laughs> and you realize, like, looking back, like when you look back, you know, like that get like ex- literally executing, like writing code, shipping code, moving this is what matters. Yeah. Figuring out how to get that bank deal is what mattered. Figuring out how to move that regulation is what mattered. And all the other talk doesn't matter. And now, uh, you know, work really closely with Christo, uh, founder, and he's he's there even stronger than I am on this. So this is like an awesome way as well to cut through all the meta stuff yeah, yeah. that starts appearing. Like, should we do X or Y? It's just like, we should just do... <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what should we do next week? Sure. And yeah, yeah. how do we start doing? Yeah, yeah. And like, let's sit down together and start figuring out what we're going to build first. Yeah, yeah. And how do we ship that? And that thing, uh, if I, the, my biggest regret is not spending enough time doing it personally and driving it personally. Yeah. And in a kind of like, not getting fobbed off by the team kind of way. So, yeah. I mean, I'm all for being an empowering manager, but sometimes you need to sit with them and help them. Be- Get shit done, right? right, right. And the more you do that, the more the thing moves, the more inspired they are, the more the whole thing exactly. works as well, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, that is, so yeah, to summarize back, my biggest learning is that is the biggest thing that matters. Yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes me personally, I lose sight of that. Uh, and keeping that clear in the org, especially as you're growing fast, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that is the currency of the org and what the organization rewards is... Uh, is probably the most uh, important thing. Back to, you know, at the beginning of this, you, you were chatting with me, like how mission is important, execution is important. Like I 100% agree with you on that front. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, um, Neilan, thank you so much for opening up and sharing the challenges and, uh, and everything that uh, has gotten you to this point and hopefully the, the good things that are going to continue to drive toward that big mission that everyone will hopefully on the team keep believing in, as you, especially as you make more progress. And Matt, thank you so much for uh, especially bringing your payments perspective to ask a couple of the questions that I probably wouldn't have thought to ask as much and uh, excited, to, uh, excited to keep learning from both of you. All right. Thanks for having us, Sean. 
Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.